0: Hello
1: and welcome to EG's Office Politics. I'm Piers Weiner, and this is Mark Prisk. Sorry, there was a long hesitancy there, wasn't I? I'd like to pretend I was munching a mince pie or something, but uh, <laughs> I, yes, yeah, there we are. Mark Prisk, I'd remember my name. That's a good start.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Well, maybe you decided, yeah, it's December. I mean, I don't have to show yes. up. I'm, I'm exactly. on holiday already.
1: <laughs> well, my, my one excuse is that for nearly two weeks now, we've been enjoying the Arctic with frozen wastes and having no central heating, which... Um, uh, you know, it's certainly it's it's what they call, I think, in modern mar- marketing parts, an immersive experience because we live we do actually live in a converted stable block. So the fact that we're running up to Christmas, you know, I think we were going for the full. All I needed was some straw on a donkey and I was halfway to the full nativity <laughs> scene, you know, but uh, and obviously you count as at least one wise man in that context. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll,
0: I'll be sure to pick up some uh, some Frankincense on my my way around
1: that's my rather backward way of pretending that uh actually there's some other reason other than mental a mental fatigue um that uh, prevented me from remembering what the hell my name is, but anyway, I'm here, and I'm Mark Prisk, and I'm ready to go very good and hello to everybody out there. um we thought that we would uh end
0: the year by having a look back at what's gone on this year what the the themes are. Um, that have emerged, the ones that have continued, also what we can look forward to next year. A few Mm. things that are quite exciting, but some of them that are a bit disappointing, like the walnut and tangerine at the bottom of the stocking. Um, (laughs) So without, I suppose, without any further ado,
1: Mark, what was your absolute highlight of the year, do you think? gosh uh it's tricky after 2022 when one could actually see uh, this trust disappear from politics that would, you know that will always be a highlight for me but um i think the funny thing about this year is it's been the calm before the or in between the storms because last year 2022 if we can dare our minds to go back to the nightmare uh on trust street was the whole you know farrago of of, of nonsense that came from those few weeks, and it's almost like a bad dream. Whereas 2023, I feel for Rishi in having to clear up the mess because he's going to get no thanks for it. Um, and in some ways, he's you know, if he had been uh, actually elected immediately after Boris had gone, we didn't have the interregnum uh, of uh, mistrust then he might have had a fighting chance, I think, uh, to, to turn it round. But it is difficult. And in politics, you tend to see that pendulum where things head in one direction very clearly. And we saw when, you know, uh, when Gordon Brown left, lost, lost, lost office, when John Major lost office, every 10, 15 years there's a certain point when the public feel we want to change. We've had enough of the current incumbents. And that's the polite language version in most <laughs> cases. Um, And we want to move on. And they will look more carefully. And Starmer's got a lot more work to do, I think, in just convincing them there's a coherent plan there. But uh, 2023, I think, politically, has been that bridge between trying to move away from the chaos of where we were, have some steady in government before 2024, which, of course, is going to be, well, I was going to say an election year here in the UK, but actually it's going to be an election year, in a lot of countries yeah. in america in india in the uk the european parliament to name but a few so many 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 tens of millions of people are going to be going to the polls at some point um next year um so yeah i i think it's it you often get that point in between pivot years and 2023 i think is that kind of uh calm between the storms and
0: I, I love the fact that what's your highlight of 2023 mark well at least it wasn't 2022 yes And yes. thank god it isn't 2024 yet <laughs> yes,
1: yes no well i mean you know the to to use your stocking analogy you know uh it, my goodness 2022 was a pretty wizened walnut <laughs> um and what we we, we really you know I'm, i want at least the tangerines and a bottle of sherry uh in in, in my in my stocking or indeed something stronger but Obviously, we're mostly T Turtle on this show. Mostly, mostly, yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, I think Wizened Walnut's polite. I, I think it was the it was the lump of coal. I mean, maybe the lump of coal was was COVID. Wizened yes. Walnut. Now, I think we're we're something decent, aren't we?
1: Well, we are, although I hate to say, but I think economically looking forward, there's going to be two or three years at least of difficulties because although the economy will turn, the, the nation's finances are in a very bad way. They've been, you know, we, we had the big crash in 2008, 9, 10, which was very expensive for the country. We've had COVID, which was hideously expensive. Mm. Some of the things that were done were probably the right things to do, but that doesn't take away from the fact that we're going to have to pay for them for years to come. And so I think there's just that dawning realization that, you know, if if Keir Starmer is elected, they're going to have a pretty tough environment to operate in. And those people who think it's going to be the land of milk and honey or that, you know, that the the spending taps can just be thrown on. I mean, that's where I think, you know, I think quite sensibly, Rachel Reeves has set out the fact that that is not going to happen. It's not going to be practical. And I think that's that's the problem as well, isn't it that it's
0: when you get those economic pinch points that you realize how how many things structurally don't work, like the planning system has always been a huge yeah. problem for the industry, a huge problem for house builders, a huge problem for office developers, for mixed use developers. It's just a problem and don't even get started on infrastructure mm-hmm. um, but it's only now that money is all important that funding is all important that the the era of of cheap if not almost free money is definitely over that we're seeing just how much of a problem it is and in the meantime it's like nothing's been fixed we've had so many attempts to do it this year the the dominant piece of legislation passed this year for my money was the leveling up bill which as we previously discussed is essentially a, a planning bill with some extra bits bolted onto it pretty important Extra bits bolted onto it. Yes. going into yes. that I think. Um but it's an attempt to fix the planning system that hasn't really fixed the planning system. The planning system is still absolutely not fit for purpose. And now that the economy is tighter and everybody's feeling the pinch far more, it's it's really showing the strain. And it's mm. you know, when you've got everyone from house builders to life sciences to major global investors saying we don't want anything to do with with the, the UK PLC because of the planning system. You know that's a
1: that's a huge problem. Yeah. It's only going to get worse next year. It is a problem. I mean, I think some like often when a problem comes along, some people will then row in behind it to cover their own failings and say, "Well, of course, yeah. it's all the planning system." But but nevertheless, you're right. It is a problem. And I, I think there's always been this central issue of how do you have a, a an efficient administrative process um, a regulatory process which also has a fundamentally democratic element to it in other words Mm. that you have local councils that are directly elected and their councillors making the decisions about whether or not homes are built um, whether or not something like major infrastructure can come into play and there's been this tension always now i personally think the french have one sensible element about their planning which is that for major infrastructure they take the decisions at a national level Mm. Um, there is a presumption in favor of those decisions but they compensate the owners uh, and the immediate residents effectively uh, much more generously Uh, and i think that's more sensible because but we tend in this country to have a had system, and there have been changes to the national infrastructure arrangements recently, but the culture generally in Whitehall was to have a very, very tight, miserly compensation arrangement. Um, and then wonder why we spend years with people funding barristers to block the system. And actually what you have what you need to do, carrot and stick is to have a much stronger central system that says, you know what, we do need to upgrade our, let's say, for example, electricity distribution system. We need additional electrical capacity, for example, in West London for the homes, which currently are being blocked because of the data centres there. Uh, Listeners will be aware of that example coming up this year. Um, But in return, where we recognise that there has been an impact on residents, because we're putting a pylon down through there, next to their village or whatever there will be uh, identified compensation or whether we're, where we're, we're acquiring land so this is an issue which will come up with labor they yeah, want to change yeah. the system to being able to not only retain strong compulsory purchase powers but they're looking at the idea of what value do they pay the landowner for the land and of course we have this uplift where you buy the, the land from the owner on the effectively hope value. In other words, it's a field today with two sheep and a donkey, but tomorrow it'll be a housing estate, so we're going to pay you at the housing estate level. And I think this is where government probably should come up with a system, which is the way I would do it is I would say I would pay you on current value plus 10% to recognise rather than the full hope value. Now, that will say, A, I think people will feel actually that feels a little bit fairer okay i'm not going to get the squillions for the mm. you know the housing but i'm at least going to get better than i can get in the current marketplace for its current use and that is a slightly fairer deal that will save the public purse a fortune um but i think it uh, might th- be there more- would be an enormous backlash to that wouldn't there i mean from no, from uh, landowners that that would that would not go down at all well of course and i think you could do it in designated zones so you could say that in certain areas where we've identified high housing need this will be the new arrangement um and of course it will be controversial but it comes to that issue of the tension between the national need the new infrastructure the jobs the homes you know for people and the local interest which you know is going to be affected and that 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 is a challenge so i think you know the levelling up bill as you rightly say um has got some good elements in it but it, it it's not the full package it's almost entirely enabling legislation
0: isn't it the levelling up bill there's a couple of bits of detail not, in it, it but yes. it's yeah it's, it's it's a it's a big matrix of promises some of which are rather grand i mean the the devolutionary elements are really quite impressive yeah um, it's just a,
1: a matter of putting those into place yes uh, and I think they're good. I mean, I you know, it's funny, isn't it? When we when I was preparing for government in opposition in 2008-9, running up to 2010, you know, our belief then of what the public would, would want to do, and indeed what Whitehall was prepared to let go of, was radically different to where we are now. I mean, things have moved on tremendously, and you have finally got uh, people like uh, the Metro mayors in Birmingham and mm-hmm. Manchester and so on, um, who I think people look at and think, Do you know what? Actually, this works, and it's not necessarily just the individual. Though both the incumbents there, Messrs Burnham and Street, are good examples. Um, but I think it's uh, I think people are realising that actually Whitehall doesn't have to run everything. So there is there is a tricky issue here because what uh, and it'll be Angela Rayner uh, in, in a Starmer government if they're elected next year. Um, they will have to think about is how do you take the legislation we've just seen passed this year and you know, are you going to spend another 18 months pushing through additional regulations? Or are you going to actually look at what's on the statute book and work, use that intelligently? Hmm. Um, I was always a fan of the latter because I always kind of felt there was this thing about, well, we must, we must pass new laws. And yet, having been the deregulation minister, the number of laws sitting on the statute book that are never used, or yeah. never used to their full potential, is staggering. Um, you know. And I think, therefore, there's a habit of wanting to legislate. Well, that's 18 months gone. If you're in government, you in reality, you've got to show, after four years, you've got to be able to show a tangible difference to the public from your proposals. That, in truth, especially in housing and infrastructure, means you've got, I would say, 18 months, the first 18 months, to do the critical things that allows the development market or the houses to be built so that another two years on, that full four years, people can see the houses are coming out of the ground. They can see they've got keys to put in their front door and they've got a home. So, you know, I th- that's why I think using existing laws is often a wise move if you, if you want to be able to demonstrate progress.
0: Although it is tempting, as you say, it's, it's incredibly tempting for a, an incoming administration to have their own yes. flagship bills, their own... Of course, yes.
1: No, it 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 is, and you know, it's. Um, I think commonhold like is it. one way we're going to see that, aren't we? Do you, do you think that? Yeah, I think the... yes. Well, I think I think we probably will. Um, Labour, uh, on the whole, I think are being relatively uh, pragmatic around this. I think they've recognised that to try and unpick all the existing long leases, in mm. re- re- reaching right back retrospectively could have them in the courts for a very long time um because it's a long established principle about retrospectivity and i think it's a good one but i think you're right i think they will want to establish the principle that going forward common hold is the preferred tenure to leasehold so but i mean to be fair you know again i can remember a lot of commentators over this year saying no way is the government going to go ahead with leasehold reform the bill is, you know, stone dead. Not a chance of getting to, um, to to the House of Commons. There it is, uh, being debated. Maybe not as strong, maybe not as robust as some would want, but it is actually at the House of Commons being debated to become new law. What else do we have this year? I mean, we've we've there, there have been some extraordinary themes developing, haven't there? We've had
0: the um, that major legislative piece and the themes related yeah. to that with the Leveling Up Bill. Renters reform, the leasehold reform that have been going through and will hopefully get past um, the post before the end of the parliamentary term. Yes. We've also had some other thematic things. I mean, the environmental picture
1: has changed considerably over the year. I think it has. I mean, I know obviously in general terms, uh, one of the things that people say is, well, uh, you know, uh, Rishi Sunak has rode back on various things. I I think the truth was that um, there were a number of targets that were looming that started to feel impractical, not least Mm. the absolute adherence to the boiler ban uh, by a certain date without having an infrastructure that could actually deliver on it. Now that doesn't mean I don't think there is a case for looking at dealing with um, uh, the way in which we heat our homes, the way in which we insulate our homes. But what were the targets right? I, I think what you will now see are things like the decent home standard, the new one, coming through over the next few months, and consultations around that that are going to change the debate, certainly in the residential sector. But the interesting, I think the moment for me, sort of in a sort of quasi-political stroke planning environment, was the decisions around the M&S headquarters on uh, Oxford mm. Street and calling that in because... I think this presages um, an issue that's going to continue to reverberate through the sector, and that is, what is the future of new development against um, the reuse of existing buildings? You know, Is demolition going to be incredibly difficult to, to happen, you know, and, and except in very exceptional circumstances? Will, will it become something whereby, because of embedded carbon, Actually, it gets very difficult to replace buildings, except in you know a, a very small number of circumstances. I could see, and I'm not necessarily predicting this, but I could see uh, perhaps a, a Labour government trying to meet its uh, built environment sta- ta- standards on net zero, saying, Do you know, actually demolition is going to be the last resort, and you've got to come, mm. and prove, you've got to prove the positive case. In advance before you can make an application. You know, you could see it going that way. I'm not trying to That's really interesting. Because I, I think it, it seems at the moment
0: that it's being industry-led, isn't it? Or investor-led, yeah. occupier-led, that that's that's the reason for going down that path. And legislative side of it, you know, the, the legislation side of it, the, the legal side of it, is lagging yeah. behind. Oh, yes. I think fairly sensibly. But that's quite interesting what you're saying, that actually in order to to achieve those targets that that might change that you'll get the whoever the next government is saying actually we need to go a bit further on this and a bit quicker
1: yeah and i think you know because we know there are challenges around you know the whole question of embedded carbon um equally there are some older buildings where an intelligent reform of the building uh, regulations mm-hmm. could actually help um I and mean, i've been impressed with examples this year of housing uh, developers who uh, are actually using materials that um store carbon when it, when putting up their buildings so they're actually um effectively creating you know a, a, a net not not just net zero but net um negative i even have a net negative um carbon homes yeah and that's because the insulation standard is so high and the absorption of carbon because of the nature of the building materials is so strong that actually you can have buildings that help actively help and not just ne- are not just neutral in terms of carbon so uh, you know which i think is a fascinating angle how scalable it is i don't mm. know but i i do think and I've always been on the environment, I've always been one of the people who believes that what we need to do is to have a language of enabling and encouragement and technological change rather than, to be blunt, um, blocking cars, sitting in the streets, uh, bemoaning that we're all going to hell in a handcart. Because I just think that, that you know, that, that culture of, of it's, it's all terrible I and mean, it was ban things and stop everything. Yeah, sure. There's some things we do need to stop, but actually, what you've got to be is much more intelligent to say, "How do we change habits? How do we encourage? How do we apply new technologies?" Because there's some great ideas out there, and like I, I absolutely agree.
0: But and and yet I, I'll come at it from a slightly different angle because I think yeah. that um, I'm I'm more of the opinion that a well-placed piece of of lawmaking can provide that that vital push um, that that will encourage people to say because it, it seems it's too easy for for some in the industry for some in the sector to say well you know the the cost the mm-hmm. the bottom line that we can't quite and if those targets get changed if it if there's a bit of backsliding on on that then then other things so ukgbc um said recently about that uh, the future home standard that this isn't a future home standard this is a current home standard this is actually um, behind where yes, quite a yeah. lot of people in the industry are Mm. You need to be bolder. The aspiration should be far higher. the The intent should be clearer. And you set those targets because actually, the the private sector is brilliant at this. You set a yeah. target, and yes. in in year one it seems impossible. By year five, they've reached it. And I think, and I think that's I think, the problem. I, I I disagree with um. With your uh, view on on rishi Sunak, because I I think that was a U turn. I think that was a, yeah. a crushing retreat, um, and I, I think that it was for political ends. And now he sort of U turned back again. It seems that with the perhaps with the appointment of David Cameron back into um, into government, that there there seems to have been another shift in that. And I wonder if if that was the realization that actually when you say, yes, we still want to hit those targets but will take away all the stepping stones to the targets, that instead of that making people feel a bit better, that made a lot of people, investors, the private sector, as opposed to people on the streets, that made a lot of people in those positions think, well, hang on, how are we supposed to then convey that message of urgency? How are we supposed to say we need
1: to invest this money here, there, and this is how we need to do it? I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right to say that when you when you cast legislation, you put in government targets that you if they're done well, they can create a genuine pathway to change. And a good example of that was the landfill tax. And -hmm. the reason it worked was because it was made very clear that that certain activities had to stop. Um, But there was a reasonable run in time because the investment needed all the way down the, the waste management chain was quite significant in order to get there, not least changing um, the public's habits about how they collect and recycle what they use. Um, And so what they've done then is they've created that potential charge. And in fact, they haven't generated a huge amount of revenue because they've done what they really want to do, which is change behaviours and change outcomes. And that's the tricky bit with this, which is getting the, having a sufficient, you know, disincentive to continue business as usual and enough incentive to say actually how can we innovate to move in 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 the in the new direction so i i, I mean i i just i was just feeling particularly with the boilers and this is you know uh, the fact that i've been living in a um converted stable block with no heating is obviously completely disconnected uh, from this, but um, there's no, <laughs> no vested in interests there's here. No but just looking at older buildings, you know, the, with the best will in the world, we're never going to get to the currents sort of EPC, C's and so on. Mm. And so, what we've got to do is have an intelligent guide for people like me who would like to try and do the right thing, which says, right, these are your crucial options, uh, these are the relative likely costs, uh, these are the things that can get you 80% of the way or 60% or whatever. Uh, And here are, you know, some tax or other incentives or some disincentives uh, to stop bad behavior and incentives to encourage good behavior. Uh, And to think about it for people at different income levels and points in their life. Um, Because if you're an elderly widow and, you know, you're in the family home, we would actually quite like for that person to be able to downsize to a smaller property. But we've got to recognize that if we don't build the home's choices for them, then they're going to stay put. And, you know, so there are lots of little things around that. But I take your point. A good a good benchmark that's set out in law and that has a deadline that people can work to can change behavior. And 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 therefore it does have a role. I accept that. I just I just never felt that the target of. Um, the boiler changeover deadline was ever realistic Hmm. or they didn't flesh it out sufficiently to say, right, for these types of homes, we're talking about this for flats. We're talking about that, you know, just, just to, just to flesh it out so people can see where they are. And
0: it's those targeted incentives as well. The programs that they had to do these things weren't quite right. They never sort of, they either never captured the public imagination or they weren't at the right scale or the, the way that they were, uh, carried forward meant that the investment that was meant to be put in mm-hmm. was never distributed. You know, I think all of the schemes that they've, they've tried to put through in the past couple of years have had some sort of fatal flaw that's meant it hasn't been quite as successful as yes. the government wanted or needed it to be. I think that's that's a really interesting point as well, because where you see people who have fairly deep pockets, and again, in the private sector, the development sector, um, the things that they can achieve are extraordinary. Um, yes. I, think, uh, I think it was at the beginning of this year I spoke to Cadogan um, oh, yes. and they were using the example of um, uh, I think it was an 18th century residential muse house building that was about as drafty and leaky and EPC inefficient and yes. low scoring as you could possibly get. I mean, it's like we're plumbing the end of the alphabet and the bottom of yep. the score sheet. Um, and they managed to get it to passive house standard wow and they said to be perfectly honest we couldn't do this at scale across the entirety of the portfolio but the lessons they learned from doing it to that standard Mm -hmm. showed them that they could get a lot farther with the rest of the portfolio than they ever dreamed they could Mm -hmm. and i think that having those sorts of of targeted incentives for other people and for a retrofit industry Could really help us to to get a lot further than we think is is possible at the moment, and and to achieve those targets. I might be
1: sounding a bit um, optimistic. Hey, it's Christmas. Let's be optimistic. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, well, And I think the other the other just sort of moving on. The other theme that I think has been trundling through whole, the whole year and is unresolved, and I think will continue to be for a bit. But we've seen ebbs and flows on it. Is this whole as we've come out of this? Is I guess this year has been the first full year we've had where we haven't had lockdowns for three Mm. years so it's extraordinary now when you think about it in December 23 to think that you know when I stepped out of politics in December 19 the notion that the following three years two and a half years would be filled with lockdowns and all the rest of it was just for the birds Um, and of course what that's done is completely upset the notion of going to work Um, We've had a period when no one could go to work and then there were accepted professions or occupations. And of course, all of that has then changed our mindset because of the joys of online meetings, Um, he said carefully and God bless the people who run Teams and Zoom. uh, If only they stop stop updating the damn thing uh, uh, quite as frequently. But anyway. um, the, what it's meant is we've suddenly got away from the notion that pro- the property industry has always been focused on which is location 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 and actually somehow where you work is a completely fluid uh, commodity mm. and i don't think the office market is anywhere near i think it's making good progress i mean it's very interesting that at the moment I think I'm right in saying that the city of London and the West End of London are seeing the highest number of new builds at the very top of their game than they've had in five years and possibly 10. And yet the vacancy rates for anything below uh, certain levels of EPC are enormous. So you've almost got two entirely separate marketplaces.
0: Exactly. That, that so divergence, is, those tiers are-
1: just going And usually you get a leak from one to the other because people will say, well, hang on a moment. Can't we bridge this by being eight tenths or whatever? But actually the gulf is so deep because to get from some of the sort of tatty 70s, you know, office buildings to what is required to go forward um, is such a leap. And this comes back then to this point about demolition or no demolition. Mm. Um, you know what the hell do you do with these buildings? Now, most people listening to this will be shouting residential at me. Uh, if mm-hmm. only I could hear them. Um, but in some locations, that isn't going to be the, the case. So I think there's a, I think there's a fascinating question as about where we live and where we work, which is both a problem for the property industry and a social issue. Well, I, no, I it's a, it's an economic issue for businesses. Um, you know, does it matter? Is it just the line managers worry that the people who who are working for them, uh, they don't see? Is there a problem for younger people not mixing in the office? Um, And what does that do for their career? And then for the property world as a whole, um, how do you bridge that gulf between something that's just never going to get to modern environmental standards and the, you know, top of the tree, new developments that are happening? So I think it's quite a... I don't think we've worked through yet how that happens, but we've seen trends. I thought the fact that, you know, work actually filed for bankruptcy just last month yeah. and has been teetering all year on that, that point when it was, you know, the show. only in the States and Canada, it's worth pointing out. So the, oh, that okay? Chapter 11 right. protection of only. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for that uh, legal warning. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there was a point when it was thought to be a brilliant game changer. Mm. and then you kind of looked at the numbers and thought well how does this work if you take on a long commitment but your tenants have much shorter commitments isn't there just a risk that you're going to get be left holding the baby that's a very untechnical way of describing the problem but i think <laughs> oh it's, it's, it's pretty much away. what happened
0: isn't it and that's
1: yeah. the the reason for the
0: the going from this is the future of, of work. This Not only not only work, this is the future. I mean, the messianic yeah. cries of, of early we work know, and when it was worth 47 billion were extraordinary. extraordinary. Um, it was going to change the world. Um, and to now where, I think I think actually the the argument of flex office has definitely been one. I think co-working yeah. space is, yes. is here to yeah. stay. I think, you know, when you've got people like uh, uh, Great Portland switching more and more of their portfolio over to flex, then you can see that, the the idea, the concept has stuck for all of those reasons that you were talking about. Um but I think, yeah, the We Work model or rather the WeWork way of doing it yes. um, has fallen apart. And yeah. we're going to see the 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 repercussions of that going on and on. I, I think the the way that the intersection between um the sort of the political side and how that world of work has changed is really interesting to me. I I love the fact that we've we've had uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg leaving notes on people's desks saying sorry we missed you. We've had um a, a, another push to get civil servants out of central London and into the regions, into yes. these regional hubs, while simultaneously saying that they can't work away from the office uh, for for more than yes. two days a week. And then um what was it Cambridgeshire County Council being told that their four-day a week experiment had to end? Um, regardless of whatever evidence
1: Cambridge yes. County Council came back with. It seems or, that there's a
0: real sure. tension there at the moment.
1: Well, there is a tension. There's also confusion, isn't there? Because actually what what matters is people's output. Um, yep. That's what matters. And there is a dangerous habit of trying to, you know, micromanage how people get to where they need to do, you know, what they need to do. Um, you know, and I mean, I think I can understand the caution of some office managers and some owners depending on the nature of their business and especially you know even those people who are not who don't have a quill pen uh like jacob uh to to leave their little billet doux on people's chairs um i i just kind of feel that actually focus on the stuff that matters which is outputs and outcomes and don't get drawn into the If someone because everyone works slightly differently and whilst my one caveat to that that would be the making sure there's a social dynamic in a team I was running because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do that remotely. Um, nevertheless, that notwithstanding, I think managers and businesses should focus on outputs and not get drawn into this. And it doesn't mean it's difficult to judge how much space do you need in order to have the whole team in. Well, maybe you don't have the whole team in on your premises. Maybe you just hire as when you need to need to. Yeah, um, I think that's that's the
0: theme as well that's changing think, for office is, is the the yeah. fundamental use of it yes and I, I can't really see a, I, I can't imagine any form of legislation attempting to dictate that can you I mean that's
1: it should be management practice anyway shouldn't yeah. it but um no I think that's that 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 is there but um and I suppose the other the other thing I've noticed this year, of course, and we've talking about it being a sort of quiet bridge, is, of course, we haven't seen a change in Prime Minister this year, you know, um, to come Gosh, along, in um, though, obviously, we have seen a change in in my former role um, in housing. Um, and I, I just wanted to, you know, because I think you've always occasionally been a slight poo-pooer, if I can say that, uh, of my notion that housing ministers are becoming like Doctor Who's, uh, <laughs> This uh, nonsense. Year, I would I would never poo-poo your notions. <laughs> I'm I'm not poo-pooing too much. Um this is becoming like a black adder um conversation. Um <laughs> of course this year, just to demonstrate the link between Doctor Who and Housing Ministers' appointments, is we've had the regeneration of Lee Rowley as the housing minister. So he is the yes. David tenant, I think, of the Doctor Who series, which is which is quite a compliment, if I may say so. Um, but uh, I think he's the seventh housing minister in oh, I don't know four years or something, and the sixteenth uh, since 2010. Yes. But, um, yes. So he's so he's back in, and and Lee's a good guy. I mean, Lee is a, he's shrewd in many ways. He should have been given that role, or that, that role should have been enhanced when when he had the the chance beforehand. But he was put to deal with building safety, very important. Um, but now he's he's back in the full role. And, uh, you know, I wish him luck. He, it's a tough one. Um, the clock is ticking. Um, much of the, you know, the game is set, as it were, in terms of what he can deliver. But, um, uh, yeah, I think a, a welcome return to, to, to Lee Rowley in his David Tennant uh, reincarn- reincarnation uh, as the housing minister. Do you think that's what we need? Because we do
0: face enormous problems with housing and planning. What um, do you think that? Do, do, what do you think I think what we need yes, well, I think we need David Helen. No, I think we need to, to go full on Doctor Who Christmas special and oh, right. call in all of the former housing and planning ministers. You know, yeah. let's, let's have the
1: the the end of season special of the, the, mm. the five ministers. That would be good, yes. And then you could have a quiz, depending on how drunk the home uh, audience are at home, is how many that how many they can name? Um, totally agree. yes, quite. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, which is, I'm, I'm getting on. To the I mean, you would you wouldn't win. You could barely name so yourself no earlier chance. on. I'm, you know, good guy. I'm on that basis. I'm Patrick Troughton or something. <laughs> I, well, I like to, I like to think of myself as I think i mentioned before as the Tom Baker of, of, uh, of Doctor Who, it's sort of slightly seasoned, but that ability to deliver lines—there is a parallel here for politicians—is the, the ability, is in Doctor Who, to deliver lines that make no sense whatsoever, and yet deliver them with a certain conviction. You know, this is the the, the vortex has you know has has stopped uh, you know in the third dimension, Doctor, and you're thinking, what? Um, it's <laughs> a little bit like you know some of the uh, some of the some of the housing uh, statements one was often asked to to make, and I used to edit. Because I refused to send anything. It didn't sound vaguely like normal English. I think that's the the things that
0: some uh, come out with in committee as well. Yes. You you get a very confident reply that when you listen closely to it, it struggles to have any relevance or any relation to sense.
1: Yes. Well, I I often love phrases, you know, which revolve around. uh, We're certainly hoping that the narrative will conclude in that way. (laughs) Uh, or something like that which which when you which sounds good doesn't it but actually is utterly meaningless Um, (laughs) so maybe we ought to if we have this show next year we we ought to aim to have a have a series of phrases that don't make any sense and put them in a hat and see if we can pull them out and turn them into a sentence good yes i think we should i think
0: should um i was also wondering you know surely there are things that we could try with uh, the planning system um, maybe, again, taking a leaf out of yep. science fiction. Uh, has anyone tried reversing the polarity? I mean, that, <laughs> that always seems to be a go-to. Um, yes, exactly. That's
1: so very true. No, we're reversing the polarity,
0: which is a glorious, yes. I think I, you've got enough problems with polar regions, haven't you, in your icebox <laughs> of a house? Yes. I think the, the other thing that, that struck me this year is that we've, um, we've seen the growing crisis in local government, haven't we, which is going to affect yeah. everything. Yep, it's been coming get worse, for a while.
1: It has been coming for a while, and it is true that some have walked themselves into those problems. Um, you know, some of the some of the property deals that some of uh, hmm. the finance officers of those local authorities have gotten themselves into are breathtaking. But um, there is an underlying tension, and the underlying tension is there are certain critical statutory requirements: adult social care, children's yep. services, and so on the costs of which have racked up, not just because of inflation, but because of changes in the law. And so suddenly they eat more and more of the budget of the local authority, and suddenly they're left with diddly squat, uh, to use a technical term, um, to deliver all the other things. And so, you know, you end up with with all those sorts of problems. And I think we are going to see far more uh, get into difficulties. Um, I personally think that there are too many smaller authorities um, I also think we need to be honest about what should be mandatory and what shouldn't. Um, also, there used to be a rule which was which hasn't been followed, I think, for certain areas in social care where the deal was it's effectively if government legislated to create a new responsibility. It had to match the, match it with the funding to deliver that responsibility. And I think what's happened is that because social care some issues have blown up in terms of safeguarding of of adults with learning disabilities and so on Uh, regulations have been tweaked and processes have been increased so assessments have to be made much more frequently and of course that racks up the cost um of doing this and but those costs have not then been uh, backed up with money from the center so I do feel for a lot of the, the county councils and unitary authorities who are dealing with this, who have not been foolish with their money with property deals and so on. Um, whereas I think someone that's... like Nottingham, you know, has got themselves into terrible difficulties with their investment in Robin Hood Energy, which proved to be a complete, you know, waste of money. I mean, mm-hmm. million, tens of millions. And that's it. It's
0: not all property deals, is it? But there are no, no. There are there is a, a, a thick vein of... Um... Unwise investments or unfortunate investments, but it was quite interesting. You mentioned Nottingham. I mean, one of the the comebacks uh, in committee when Michael Gove was being grilled about local government financing was that the only reason why they made those investments was because they needed a return, and the reason why they needed a return was because central government core funding had been slashed to the bone. Um, as they said, there's a twenty-three million pound shortfall uh, deficit, but there's been a hundred million pounds of funding cuts. So actually, they've been doing pretty well. Um, was the the comeback? Michael Gove's response was, "No, all local authority authorities that are failing, they're failing because of failures of leadership. Nothing right. to do with the, okay. the the
1: cuts." Yes, I mean, I think there has. I mean, I'm well aware that central government funding to local government has gone down by forty yeah. percent. Um. So you know that is a reduction. Equally, I think, you know, when I look at the authorities that have gone down so far uh, some of the decisions have been terrible and i think there is an argument to say yes central government's got a responsibility here but also that's no excuse for making rubbish investment decisions on which you're not qualified um you know and i, I remember do you remember that period when out-of-town retail sites were being snapped up by a handful of local authorities yeah. when the when the private market was avoiding them like the plague. And you thought, guys, the reason it's cheap, the reason you're able to buy it cheap is because nobody who's actually a specialist in this wants to buy it. Does this not tell you why actually it's not a good idea? It's a bit, you know, it's the old thing I used to get with occasional, you know, very often, sadly, you know, an elderly constituent had been scammed by some ridiculous get-rich-quick thing. And, um, you know, the notion that if it looks too good to be true, it is, um, is it, one I'm afraid that's quite a few, not all by any means, but a fair number of local authority finance leaders have failed to cotton on to, have bought into retail warehouses or whatever that have no one else wants to touch and are now paying the, the, the price. So that doesn't excuse the need for uh, better funding, more consistent funding for local government, but it, equally they can't hide behind that as an excuse for making bad decisions. Yeah. So I'm in the yeah. middle. I'm in the middle. I think there somewhere. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there's there's a, a, a balance there of, yeah. <laughs> of whose fault it is. It is indeed. Yes, exactly. Well, so it's been a it's been a fun year, I think, in many ways. Um, it, you know, as I say, we have had one prime minister, which, we, which which is which is going some. I think uh, I think actually, Italy's only had one prime minister this year, so uh, it's been a very quiet year in that sense. But um, but looking forward, I think we're going to hear the, the, the tiny tinkle of, of election bells become a cacophony later in the year. And do you
0: think we're going to be seeing um, a lot more flesh added to the, the bones of what the party is going to offer? Or do you think Labour is going to continue to be
1: a little bit circumspect, hoping that they can give I as little detail as possible? The critical issue will be they'll want to wait until they see the budget in March. And, that'll, and then from then on, I mean, there is a, a strongish sense that if things started to turn their way, the PM and the Chancellor still want to have the option of going in May. But I think that's going to be that's going to need a hell of a lot of good things to go right between now and then. So I think you'll see more from Labour once they know what the, the Tory budget is in, in, in yeah. March. Um, And then I'm afraid, partly because the media from January the 1st will call it an election year and therefore everything will be seen through that single prism, which is always false. Um, But that is what we'll all be about uh, all the way through. God bless us until October, probably of next year. Um, And, uh, you know, it'll be a ripper and we will enjoy commentating on it from the comfort of our armchairs.
0: Yes, we will. Well, uh, pass the sherry. Um, and uh, would anyone like a mince pie? Mince pie? <laughs> chocolate log? Anyone? Oh yes, lovely. Yes, Thank you. I love chocolate log. Well, we'll leave you to your your seasonal feastings, and we'll be back in the new year with a lot more to dissect and digest, much like a, an over fatted turkey, and all vegan equivalent. And we'll probably have some uh, some guests as well from across the industry and politics, uh, local government, regional government and anywhere else we can pluck them from.
1: Yes. Well, indeed, lots of plucking going on. Uh, And, you know, God rest ye merry gentle persons.
0: Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.